you know, Germany, when you, when you mentioned Germany, you know, the Germans and Second World War and all that crap, well, to me, my image was a dismal, cloudy, dirty, dark, horrible place to be in Berlin. But when you actually get into Berlin, it's a bloody beautiful place. Oh, there it is. There's Brandenburg. After our morning with Dr. Linden, Frank and I rested a bit and then headed out to do some sightseeing. We had largely been in the western part of Berlin, about six miles from the city center. So we headed east toward where the Berlin Wall had once stood. I hope to bring down another wall. If it's something that you want, if, if you're open to some kind of a reconciliation like we talked about with Dr. Linden, if John could say, yes, I did this, I'm responsible for it, I didn't mean to, to, to destroy your eye. Maybe you're never going to be well, friends. Well, let's put, it, let's put it this way. I know something that nobody else knows, for sure. But I know that I haven't got long to live. Now, in the light of that, with what you've said and what you think and what's going to happen, I really, when you say about what a, re- a reconciliation, what is the point? What is the point? Well, would it give you any... Well, what it would do, not that I'm a spiteful bastard like him, what it would do, if I said nothing now, at least he will know when I've gone, that if he has got any feelings and and a heart, he will probably mentally suffer because he didn't say cheerio and he didn't say sorry before I went. He can then live with that (laughs) the same as... So does that give you pleasure to think of him after you die having regrets? Well, I won't, I won't know about it, but uh, I can, I can win me dying breath. I can at least think to myself, well, he can. Uh, hopefully, he'll have a bit of a shit, a shit ending to his life too. Uh, you know. <laughs> Jesus, revenge by death. This might be more difficult than I thought. This is Square Peg. I'm Rob Collins. Part 7. Purpose Frank and I are walking around the Brandenburg Gate, next to where the Berlin Wall once stood. You know, in a way, Frank, it's actually poetically appropriate that we're walking around Berlin when we're talking about you and your brother. (laughs) It is, yeah. Because you've got the possibility of reunification, you've you've got division, I don't know. What do you want me to write in the book? <laughs> I was walking. I was walking through the this place in Berlin, and a voice said to me, "You know what? This is t- sad. It's a sad memory of a war that shouldn't have happened. So go back home and say sorry to your brother. Huh? You bullshit." He needs to oh, say he, it. He'll say it to you. Let's let's walk down towards where the wall, wall was. I think we'll get there. Are you? We'll, we'll get there. Are you going to have a, a yard waiting for us when we get there? A few minutes earlier, Frank had struck up a conversation with two middle-aged American women. Where are you all from? California. California. I, live in, I live in Virginia, but I'm doing a radio podcast story about this man from northern England. Oh, cool. Yeah. Uh, we'll have to do the podcast so we'll all know. We'll have to spend a day hunting the internet for a podcast by two gentlemen in Berlin on April 18th, 9th, 2018. April 18th. Hey, in three days' time, I'm going it's to be 50. I'm going 19th. to be 55. 
Yeah, Frank's my, bir- my Sunday is Frank's birthday. He's turning 23. <laughs> I, don't know, I, I don't like celebrating birthdays. It's a reminder that you're getting old, and I don't like that. <laughs> I should have been dead two years ago. No, seriously, I had a bowel cancer, liver cancer, now I've got the lung cancer, and and basically I'm peddling time. All right, well, we better cut it off there because if we go longer, you're going to start showing her your scars, and I don't think she wants to see that. <laughs> Bye-bye. See you. Take care. We move on. But about 30 seconds later, one of these women runs back up. She says she has a birthday present for Frank. I have a birthday present for you. Just in case you don't know what your purpose for life is. Thank you very much. Happy birthday. Yeah, well, cheers. cheers. Thank you very much. Bye. So let's say what just happened. This woman from California just gave you a birthday present. It's a little booklet called What on Earth Am I Here For? Hello. I think it's a Christian publication. She's trying to evangelize, evangelize to you. Oh so this is also, you know, maybe a little on the nose, but we're having this big discussion about your life and about your relationship with your family. And here in the middle of Berlin, this American woman hands you a booklet that says, What on Earth Am I Here For? Fate, fate, my friend. Fate, fate. I'm not actually sold on the whole fate thing, but I gotta say, this does feel like a special moment. Maybe even a sacred moment. I mean, it's all probably random, just haphazard chance. Everything from the typo that brought Frank into my life to this woman from California who gave Frank a birthday present in Berlin. But even if that's true, that there's no divine power or fate or God that's making these strange things happen, even if it's all just meaningless coincidence, I'm still struck by this moment. What on earth am I here for? I used to think about this kind of thing a lot. Why am I here? What's the point of existence? As I've gotten older, I've more or less accepted that there's no way to know. You try to be kind to other people, do some good work, find a team to root for, and hope for good health and a long life. If you're lucky, like I've been, you have some good relationships and some fun along the way. There may not be some transcendent purpose, but it's not so bad most of the time. But now I'm not so sure. Maybe I'm on Earth to bring together two estranged brothers in their 70s and help a man who may be near the end of his life meet his grandchildren for the first time. And maybe that could inspire others with broken relationships. That's a pretty decent purpose for life. All of a sudden, I'm feeling inspired. I wanted to change Frank's life, but it seems like my life is changing too. What started as a curiosity about an alleged crime has somehow led me here to reevaluating who I want to be as a person. The next day, Saturday, we return to Scunthorpe. I'm trying to say, here's where we are. You're 70, you're going to turn 71 years old tomorrow. Oh, don't remind me. I'm sorry. <laughs> Tomorrow's your birthday. You're, you're worried about potential growth in your lungs. You're worried about your health. And going back to what Dr. Linden, what we talked about in terms of, and again, I don't want to push you on this. It's your life. But, but you know, you're estranged from your brother. You're estranged from your grandsons. But I have been for years, Rob. I know, but 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 I'm I, we ha- I have a new piece of information I think that could be helpful for other people 
to know about you, that you potentially have traumatic brain injury, which if they perceive... I go on to say that, rightly or wrongly, there may be less of a stigma concerning brain injury versus mental illness, and that Frank's family may feel more sympathetic toward him if they knew. They have to. But this time, I can't go behind Frank's back. I need him to want this too, or at least be open to it. I'm not predicting we're going to have a happy ending this story where you're going to be best friends, but if there's a possibility for at least to have some closure and for him to understand a little bit more about you, for you to hear the words, I'm sorry, that could be, that could be helpful to you. And of course, it, it would, would be... It would, it would, do you know what would give me pleasure and, and, and probably a, and relax my mind a lot? For him to stand up in public and say, this is what I did to my brother and I want to tell him and everybody listening that I am so sorry. That would say, I'd say, well... Okay, that so do. so, um, can I? Would it be okay with you if I gave him that opportunity on audio to do that for this I'm story? Just told you. Okay, so that's what I'm looking for. I wanted Frank's permission to try to broker peace with John, and now I have it. But there's one more thing that I need to tell Frank. Then the other piece, though, I want to bring up to you is what Dr. Linden said as well is with uh, your grandsons primarily. Um, you know, he pushed you on, you know, yes, you know, why aren't you in their lives? You've got these great stories. You could be a figure in their life. And it's personal. Mm, and it's a touching story. That. Yes. And so um, uh, all right. And so and so the last piece of information that I got and you may know this already, but you may not. I learned that at least that one of your grands, that John is the godfather of one of your grandsons. Oh my God. And I heard that and I, 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 I almost choked up. That break, breaks my heart. Breaks my heart. The, the, the enemy, the enemy is a bloody godfather to my blood. That's yeah. bullshit, isn't it? But you're estranged, you know, you don't, you've never met these, these, these boys. Don't know. You don't know them. <laughs> if I could be helpful and, and at least ha- helping you establish some sort of relationship with them, I would love to do that. I'm not, again, I'm not. Can, go- I, envis- can I envisage? Because it would be so good for you. No, no, that's what I'm going to say to you. I envisage. It, it's, a, it, it's natural. Frank hems and haws, but basically leaves the door open, even though he's afraid of being rejected. We wrap up and I hustle back to my hotel. I need to make a phone call. Hello, we're not available now. Please use your name. Hello, this is Rob Collins. I'm calling for Mr. John Carver. Uh, Mr. Carver, I... I've just come back from bringing Frank to see a specialist in Berlin. Um, it's a long story why we ended up there, but the basic question was, what's wrong with Frank? And I have some answers and some new information that I'd like to share with you. So I'd love to meet with you in person while I'm here, if that's possible. John didn't call me back that night. If it's not, the I next understand. day is Sunday, April 22nd, Frank's 71st birthday. I go over to the house to celebrate a little, hoping that my phone will ring, but it doesn't. And unfortunately, I'm scheduled to fly home early tomorrow morning. I needed this to be a relatively quick trip for work and family reasons, but I wasn't expecting for all of this to happen. I mean, it's Sunday. I can't really expect for John to be available today. 
I briefly look into extending the trip, but I just can't. I've got a video shoot on Thursday, and while my wife isn't the type of person to tell me I couldn't, I know it would not be good for my marriage to stay in Scunthorpe, hoping that I can get an old man to apologize to his brother. I could be here for a long time. So, I return home. I think it's fine that you do this over the phone or long distance. This is Ashley, my co-producer. John will probably be even more willing to talk over the phone. But even if he doesn't, we, we're good. We have our ending. And we found out what was going on with Frank, and he's started to grow a little, which is great. Yeah, but I really don't feel like he's a whole lot better off than he was before. I mean, he's, he's so isolated and... But he doesn't have to be isolated. He can call up his family and tell them that he has brain damage. I mean, I guess he could. I just, I can't imagine him doing that, partly maybe because of the brain damage. I mean, it's oh, kind Rob, of a catch-22. He's, he, he's not an invalid. He has, you know, he has free will and free choice. I know, but and, I, and that is his decision about whether or not he wants to, to call them or not, or get in touch with them. Sure, but I feel like if I don't tell John and the family they will never know if nothing else for them I mean it'll be good for them to know why Frank is is the way he is I think you need to mind your business (laughs) (laughs) why start now (laughs) yeah I think Ashley's right this is my wife Mary Kay no I think this is Frank's choice now he has you've given him so much information and so many opportunities and now it's it's up to him yeah i mean i know but i feel like i'm almost there i feel like if frank can just hear the words i'm sorry from his brother then i think he'll be in a position then to decide what he really wants to do i mean i think he needs to hear it first i know you think that and i know you want that but at some point you're gonna have to let go let go of the outcome let go of this particular ending that you have in mind and trust that. Yeah, I know, I know. But not quite yet. I get some news that makes me even more determined. Frank went for a medical checkup to scan his lungs and it's not looking good. The tumors are growing by about 10% every three months. That apparently is pretty fast. They offered him chemotherapy, but Frank decided against it. He told me that he preferred to feel fit and well given his shortened lifespan. He got the impression that chemo could extend his life, but of course you know the side effects. I would probably do the same thing at his age. And it makes me sad, of course, but also gives me a sense of urgency to try to bring about some kind of reconciliation with John. I don't know how much time I have. It's been over a week and I haven't heard from John, so I mailed him a letter trying to explain why I wanted to talk to him, and a week or so later, John called me. Can you hear me? Yes, yes, I'm very clear, yes. Thank you very much for for your time, Um, and I'll be as brief as I can. After a minute or so, I tell him about Berlin and Dr. Linden's diagnosis, that his brother suffered from traumatic brain injury. It helped me, at least, to, to potentially understand Frank a little bit better when some of these things that I can't make sense of to, to know that part of the piece of the puzzle might be actual brain damage. Is that something you... Um, would... mm, I, oh, 
I, I, I wouldn't be convinced of that, to be honest. Um, it, it's been the way he is for all his life, really. Not a great start, but I'm determined. I try to persuade him. I say I can send him a copy of Dr. Linden's evaluation, but John is not moved. So then I try to pull on his heartstrings. I tell him about Frank's lung cancer. You know, the doctors haven't given him a timeline, but based on the measurements of his tumors in his lungs, you know, it's it's not likely that Frank will live more than another year and that he doesn't have any symptoms now, but, you know, within the next six months, he's likely to start to begin to have those symptoms. Yeah, well, anything like that is sad. It, it is, and, 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 and so... It's, it would just be my hope if there was a way that I could help. You know, I don't, I don't have any fantasies that this will have a happy ending in the sense that the two of you will become reconciled and be friends. No, I don't, I don't think that's going to happen. But if, no. there's a way, if there's a way that I could, uh, e- even just in a recording of you saying, you know, to him what you would need to say to him before he dies, do you know what I mean? That, that, that you're... That you're Sorry that this happened to him. If there's a way I could help before he dies to bring him, just just to, to play that for him, to, to have you tell him that. I don't know if you're willing to do that or would be, would do that. Just uh, I, I know what you're saying and I understand absolutely. But after all what we've been through, through all the years and, and particularly what happened a few years ago when the police were knocking on my door, and that, as far as I was concerned, that was it. That was it. But knowing that, that, that he may have brain damage and that he has lung cancer and that he's probably not going to live very long, is there any possibility that you would, even just right now on the phone to me, um, say some sort of message to him? Because I got the sense from you that after all this time, you didn't wish him ill. You don't hate him. You just, oh, absolutely not. Right, but do you know what I mean? Is that something you could you could say to him? Well, uh, not at this moment in time, no. Okay. All right, so I think it would just mean, and again, I know this is asking a lot, but I just think it would mean a lot to him and a lot be good for his... I keep talking, trying to convince him, but in the end... Well, look, leave it with me, and uh, I'll think it over, and... And, and, you know, if if I decide to go along those lines, I'll give you a call. A few weeks go by. John doesn't call. John really wasn't saying no, even though he hasn't communicated with you or gotten back to you. I visit with Amy Rose, my friend who's a therapist and social worker, who you've heard from a few times. One of the things I love about Amy is that she's an optimist. I would be surprised if there wasn't something in the future. You might have to call again or something. But I just felt like he wasn't actually saying no. And maybe that's my hope or me just projecting that. But I do feel like he was not saying a lot. And so I just wonder if a lot of his or some of his reluctance to record a message for Frank is just fear for himself. I mean, Frank denies it, but I'm pretty sure that Frank has has made John's life 
very difficult over the years. And he's gotten to a place where he's cut off all contact, hasn't spoken to him. And the idea of kind of opening up that box, the fear of what that might bring. He didn't say that, but I just wonder if that's behind some of his reluctance. Well, it certainly makes sense, given everything they've gone through together. So it's probably a, a, a naive of me to think that I was going to come in late in their lives and affect some kind of structural change when there's been layer upon layer of, of things. And I Yeah, but that's what we're all rooting for. I'm still rooting for that. I think that's part of the beauty of a story, that it's not finished. And even though it seems like it's a tragic ending if Frank doesn't get to have some kind of connection with John, what really struck me about Dr. Linden was when he sort of uh, normalized or affirmed and reframed that Frank's a fighter. That's in his nature. That inability to say no, the soldier in him, that's his essence to the core of him. And so maybe not trying to take that away from him is the happy ending. Maybe that's allowing him to be who he is and to to live his life as he sees, honoring his own code of standing up for himself, which is what no one in his family, according to him, ever did. Maybe Amy's right, but this isn't the happy ending I was hoping for. I also reached out to Frank's son, Clint. I wanted to tell him about Frank's diagnosis of brain damage and the discussion with Dr. Linden about the grandsons. But Clint wasn't interested in talking to me. He also apparently didn't want to have anything to do with Frank. Which means that he doesn't want his sons to, either. That could seem harsh, but I've heard stories from several people that Frank was a very difficult father. Even though Frank can be rather endearing now, I get the sense from him and others that there were many dark years with lots of heavy drinking. Frank uses Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde to describe himself, and maybe it's Kiki's influence or just the general mellowing that comes with age, but he's now mostly Dr. Jekyll. That's the good one. But the long spans of Frank's life dominated by Mr. Hyde have left a mark that's not easily erased. So I don't blame Clint or John. I do kind of blame myself for thinking that I could pull this off. I was hoping that John would record a message for me for the podcast that he would say, yes, I'm sorry. And yes. And then I could play that for you. And then maybe even if you never spoke to each other again, I was hoping that you could at least hear each other's voices. I don't think right now that's going to happen. But if that's the case, I wonder the next question for you is if that doesn't happen, how have you felt this whole experience? Has it has it been good for you, for, for me to become involved and to... Of course, I've thought about it. I mean, it's, it's, it's good to have you as a friend. Um, that I enjoy. I've enjoyed your company and I've enjoyed what you're doing. I've got a hang of it to a point. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm thinking, yeah, come on. I, I really hope this goes somewhere and does some good. 
I have no idea how this podcast will do any good for other people. And after all this, it feels pretty anticlimactic for the end to be Frank feeling affirmed as a fighter who cannot tolerate the word no. Rob, you have been so obsessed with finding a good ending to this. That's my wife, Mary Kay. And it, it is um, so out of character for you because there's just you, you walk around in life uh, accepting life and, and are not typically challenged. There's just so much that you've accepted. Yeah, I'm generally pretty good about the whole accept the things I cannot change philosophy. But um, I don't know, something about this. It almost seems like Frank has rubbed off on you. Uh, how how so? I mean, the whole square peg thing. <laughs> oh, so now like, I'm the square peg? <laughs> well, I mean, it sounds like you're trying to make something fit. Oh, shit. You're right. <laughs> to refresh your memory. There is no such word as can't. When there's a will, there's a way. Yes, you can fit a square peg into a round hole. Am I turning into Frank? A month or two goes by. Then I get this voicemail. Hi, Rob. It's Frank. I've had news from the hospital. It's not good. We're looking at the end of March. This was early February 2019. Frank was told he had until the end of March to live. That, that camera's yeah. off? No, yeah, it is off. So if I put it on, well, it should work. Turn video on. There you are. I see you now. Frank, you look, you look great. You don't look like someone is about to die next month. I don't know where the hell to start because it's such a story. Basically, I'm at a point now where I believe, I, I believe that I will go. I also believe that what the doctor said, I've got one, this doctor said here, you could, you could go on a bit further. He said, but with your constitution, you seem to be able to just push. I said, well, I've done it all my bloody life. I, I just don't give in. I won't give in. I have a question for you, and I hope this doesn't sound too morbid. Go on. What do you want your um, funeral to be like? I want to get ditched in the North Sea in a fish box. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. But you're going to have some kind of service, wouldn't you? What, what for? I believe in fate. And that's what's been my life is fate. You know? But yeah, but we have to come together and uh, your people who knew you have to come to have a little my, ceremony to talk about you. At my funeral, I, oh, Rob, I, I really don't know. I, I will need your help for that. <laughs> I'll help. I would love to help you with that. I'm thinking like uh, Westminster Cathedral. Down in London, maybe? Bullshit. Eh? <laughs> You're checking the piss you are. <laughs> and I'm also going to write to Elton John. I'm going to get Elton John to sing at your funeral. You remember like you sang at Princess Diana's, that Candle in the Wind song? Oh, yeah, yeah, That's gonna yeah. be, He's going to rewrite it for you. I think that would be a good one. <laughs> I'd, I'd call it Pissing in the Wind. Piss- <laughs> <laughs> I sort of expected Frank to keep pissing in the wind for quite a while, but just a week or so later, I get this voicemail. Yeah. Uh, uh, Please, Frank. I'm having a hell of a job. Things have got much worse. I call him right back. 
Frank, what what are you doing? What's going on? Well, I've got nothing left to do. I honestly feel like going to shoot my eyes and never, they'll never open again. Right. I'm in a hell of a state, Rob. I I can hear All that, right. and I'm and I'm so sorry. Um, I, I'll. I'll do everything I can to to get over there to get to see you. I don't want. I do want to see well, you again. But is there anything? No, there's no sense in you coming here because I honestly, honestly believe I will not be alive when you arrive. Okay. So, so that's that finished. But your work hasn't finished. It's all here for you to do what you want when you want. Feel free. Okay. I will. So, Rob. Frank, you you rest and and um, I'm going. and and get and I'm. Thanks for ringing. Thanks for ringing, Rob. I but, think the but, world of you like a brother. I, and I know and, you. And I, I want to tell. I want to tell you the the same thing. That getting to know you over these past few years has been one of the greatest experiences of my life, Frank. And I'm really grateful okay. to you to for all that you've done and opening up your life to me yeah. and I really, I think the world of you and I do you too so let's say ta for now All right. and if you miss me then I'll see you in heaven okay? alright Frank give my love to my family I will. hope dad's okay thank okay, you okay. I'll talk, cheers, get cheers Rob ta-da right bye bye Frank said at the end there hope dad's okay He's referring to my dad, who's about Frank's age and has been having some pretty serious health issues, too. I'm touched and surprised that he remembered my father. I mean, that kind of thoughtfulness isn't especially remarkable for most people, but this is Frank Carver, who some might call a bit of a sociopath. And here, probably on his deathbed, this small act of empathy. But Frank holds on. He is a fighter. I check in every day for a week or so. I can tell he's in a lot of pain, but he wants to hear my voice. It seems to mean a lot to him when I call. Because Frank is not surrounded by family, as I hope I will be when my time comes. He's got Kiki and one other person who comes to see him, a woman named Sharon. She lives across the street and has been a friend to Frank and Kiki for some time. I met Sharon briefly on a previous trip, and she seemed like a kind person— but that's it for Frank. Just those two. Hello. Hey, Frank. It's Rob. Oh, hello. It's Rob. Can you hear me? Oh, hell. Yeah, carry on, Rob. You girls know. Carry on. Carry on. I, I'm not too good. Honestly, I'm not very good at all. He said, you're just going to have to hang on best you can. Until, until we die. That's it. Yeah, I don't know anymore. But yeah, no. <clears throat> I'm not far off. Hey, um, but, uh, can I can I tell you something that might make bring a smile to your face? Go on. So you remember how you met me because you were trying to. Uh, contact Rod Collins. Yeah. So I I tried a couple of times over the years to get a hold of Rod Collins because I thought it would be interesting for the podcast to talk to the person who you were trying to reach. Yeah. 
and I could never get a hold of him. But finally, a little, a couple weeks ago, I did by email. I asked Rod. I said, "Well, Rod, could we talk on the phone? Because I'd like just to interview you really briefly. I think it might be interesting for the podcast to hear your voice. You know, just to hear. Well, I'm the guy who Frank oh, was yeah, trying to reach. Yeah, yeah. Okay." But here's the yeah. part. Here's the part that you could you could never make up in a million years. Rod told me he was sorry, but he could not do that because he has paralyzed vocal cords and he cannot speak. Oh my gosh! <laughs> I don't believe it. Isn't that the strangest thing? I mean, you know. Of all uh, yeah. the things, trying to do this podcast and want to talk to a guy, and he would talk to me, but he can't because he cannot speak. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. That is so, so it's just incredible. I can't, can't believe that, you know. I really can't. I know. It's incredible. Anyway, my friend. All right. Well, you, you try to rest, and I, I hope... And uh, I know. I'll dream about you. I'll I'll do the same, yeah. and I'll I'll keep calling you, and um. I'll try my best, my mate. All right. All the best to you. All the best to you. Thank you very much. Bro. Thank you, Frank. Ta-da. Bye. Frank died a few days later on March twenty sixth, two thousand nineteen, three weeks shy of his seventy second birthday. I guess it's normal when someone's death is drawn out and painful to have mixed emotions about it. There's sadness, but also relief. I feel those, plus some regret. I wish I had gone to see him. I think he wanted to see me. And maybe that, right there, is enough. That longing, that connection. Those phone calls meant so much to me. And I think they meant something to Frank. It's still kind of tragic that he died estranged from his only child and never having met his grandsons, but he had Sharon and Kiki and me. About a week later, I go to England for the funeral, and Marie meets me in Scunthorpe. I don't know if I recorded, I think I did, when I called you to tell you he had passed, but you were emotional right at first, and what have you felt like in the kind of week since then? I wasn't expecting it. And it's also the first time I'm losing someone. Um, I never went to a funeral before. So like your grandparents? You yeah. Still, you still have all your grandparents? Not all. Like, I lost a grandmother, but I was I was one. Oh. So when you told me he was, um, his condition was kind of uh, serious and I was, I was worried. But then I was like, okay, it happened in the past few years and it could just be him again being him and then recovering and so I thought I would see him again to mm. be honest <laughs> I thought I would see him again but yeah Marie had been to visit Frank and Kiki on her own about six months ago she was finishing up at the University of York and wanted to see them before she moved back to France I asked Marie to record while she was there and she produced this piece that I want to play for you now This is Sunday, the 19th of August. Um, I decided to take a year out, and so I'm here to move all my stuff. 
But I haven't started. That's the point. I haven't started and I don't know what I did those last two days because I did everything except the one thing I came for. Um, so we'll see. I'll do this tonight, I guess. But now I need to go to Scunthorpe and meet uh, Kiki and Frank. When Kiki picked me up from the station, um, she she spotted me right away. And she was really cute, really happy, smiling a lot. That was just nice. So we're in the car and then I got in the house. Um, I met Frank. He's hugging me. He said, oh, I'm so happy to see you, Marie. Uh, I was happy as well. <laughs> I felt like I was uh, visiting my grandparents, to be honest. Test. Undo. Undo. Can you get me from there? No, I'm gonna. I'm gonna. I'm just. Yeah, <laughs> I'm just checking the sound. I think it's fine. So, let's start. You ready? Okay. Um, Frank, I know you believe in fate. Do you have any? I mean, everybody has regrets. Do you have any big? Do I have any regrets? regrets? I would say my life is all full of regrets and that's where the word fate comes into it because the regret turned itself around and became another adventure that's what my life means all the way along and I also got Kiki to agree to record a short interview <laughs> It's in English. Okay. Okay. Is your relationship with Frank affecting your your friendships or your relationship with members of of your family? Yeah. Definitely. Yes. Definitely. In, in which ways? Well, my son doesn't want to come here. He he doesn't want him to go there. And yes, definitely. Um this podcast is is about you Frank and what is your your parting like what what do you want the last line of the post, of the podcast to be for you well satisfaction what satisfaction will I get well satisfaction that that people out there will know what it's like to live a life and survive you would want to inspire people maybe maybe hopefully hopefully that people will say, well, okay, come on, he's it, it, got, got to the end of the line there. How did he do it? So they brought me to, we, we went to a town nearby to, to have lunch. We're just talking, relaxing, and they're so happy and I must admit I was in 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 a mood. I made this decision of meeting Kiki and Frank when my priority was supposed to be packing and they figured out it's quite easy to read me. They asked a question, they just said, Marie, what's going on? And I I confessed that I was I was a bit scared of moving out, of leaving York, of packing. That's probably why I haven't done it before. And um, and they were adorable. 
feel like talking to me, trying to find a solution, what's missing. And I said, oh, I needed boxes. I haven't done everything to find the boxes. Uh, they were like, oh, should we go to Morrison's and get some boxes? Should we go, um, should we give you uh, some suitcases? And then Kiki said, yeah, I have tons of suitcases. Frank and Kiki decided to give me plenty of suitcases and to bring me back to York. That was the nicest thing ever. Um, it would solve everything. I wouldn't have to take the train with uh, four suitcases. So we're on the car and Kiki is uh, playing some French music. Um, and I fell asleep. I fell asleep. I was so tired. And when we got to York, they helped me with the suitcases. That's it. They, they, they saved my day. They saved my last day in York. Peg is a Lucid 48 production. It was written and produced by Ashley Hall and me. Visit our website, squarepegpodcast.com, to learn more.